Well, dear church family, we now approach the end of our Bible study series in the life of Joseph. Just a few more studies to go to bring it to a close. Like I mentioned just a little while ago, I'm going to go up to the end of verse 12 today, um, uh, to the end of Judah's blessing or prophecy, and uh, we'll continue next time. But last time we, we did think about the great significance of Israel's adopting of Joseph's children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And what a significant event that was. Uh, Joseph, of course, must have had on his mind for many years that his sons were Egyptians. They were born in Egypt. They had an Egyptian mother. And so they were, in effect, excluded from the family covenant promises of God of Israel and Jacob, full of faith, full of the spirit, uh, illegally and formally adopts them into God's covenant family line of Israel. And so the same promises uh, and the same great heritage, spiritual heritage, would be true of both Ephraim and Manasseh. And the great faith it took Jacob to do that, Israel to do that. And we also saw the glorious way in which Jacob, Israel, faced death, did we not? Full of optimism, full of that spiritual joy and assurance and peace in the Lord. But in today's study in Genesis 45, the aged patriarch Jacob is now 147 years old. He's approached a grand, ripe old age. His days, as we know from scripture, have been full of afflictions and many, many trials, many sorrows. But the last 17 years of his pilgrimage, as it were, has finished well. These have been happy days for Israel, for Jacob. Days of joy in the Lord, full of faith. These have been far better than he could have ever imagined. And uh, the patriarchal period here is coming to a close, isn't it? With Jacob, Israel, full of faith, full of assurance and peace in the Lord. And under the blessed Holy Spirit's guidance and directing, Israel has performed those great acts of faith concerning his burial place, desiring to be buried in the land of promise, the, the, the acts of adopting Joseph's children into the family of Israel and blessing them. Remember the man who often said, all these things are against me. <laughs> he often said that. All these things are against me. All these things are circumstances, are blinding his spiritual vision. They're just against me all the time. But now, now he is fully assured of God's sovereignty that indeed all those things were going for him. All those things which he thought were just <laughs> were, were completely against him, he now knows that actually all things work together for good to those who love God, to those the called according to his purpose. And so in verse 1 we see Israel here, Jacob, calling his sons all together. And what a scene that we have set before us here. What a family reunion we have here uh, set before us. All Jacob's sons leave their businesses in Goshan 
they leave their families, their duties, and they come really to, to respect and bring honour to their dying father and to receive the blessing, the prophetic blessing of a dying father. And what a joy that must have been. What an absolute joy that must have been for Israel, for Jacob. None of his children have starved in the famine. That sore famine that spread across the known world at the time. Not one of them, neither, none of their little ones, from, from what we know, perished in that famine. None, not one was missing. None of them lacked anything in the land of Goshen. And all of them, by the grace of God, have been saved, haven't they? And had been converted, despite the overwhelming odds that were against them. We think of the, 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 the odds stacked up against that family. The host of hell raised up to prevent that family, the individuals, from being converted. And yet God broke through all of that, didn't he? The, the Judas, the, the, the Simeons, the Levites, he broke through all of that and he brought all Jacob's children and the family to faith in the Lord. It, that was a miracle, wasn't it? And so Jacob here, on his dying bed, you can just imagine, he is just so overjoyed, full of faith. His, all of his children uh, letting aside their daily business, letting aside their daily duties, and they come to give respect for their father to Israel now. Not, no longer a deceiving Jacob, but a, an Israel, full of faith. And so these sons are the future of Israel. These are the tribes of Israel. They are firmly found in the way of God's promises. And this, friends, I cannot uh, say enough, is a momentous moment where the covenant line is confirmed. Jacob is, is really taking on here the role of a prophet, isn't he? And this is really is the most extended prophecy thus far in Holy Scripture, which we see. In the original Hebrew, this prophecy is prophecy concerns Jacob's sons really comes across in a very poetic sense. Jacob is now, like I said, no longer speaking as a, a deceiving Jacob as he did with Isaac, his father, remember that, but as a strong, anointed, spirit-filled prophet of God, full of covenantal blessing. And full of warning as well, which we would do well to take on board. This, friends, is an extraordinary moment. That's why Jacob says in verse 2, Hearken, hearken unto Israel your father. Notice he's not saying Jacob, he's saying Israel. Hearken unto Israel, the man who's got a changed heart now, the man who God has changed, who wrestled with the Lord, who sought the Lord, and the Lord changed him. Hearken unto Israel. It is a solemn, spirit-filled, fatherly occasion here, official occasion. His words really mark the beginning of the end of the patriarchal age. The Holy Spirit gives Israel great Vision, illumination, and prophecy concerning what will happen to his sons, his offspring. 
And it is interesting to note that the history of each tribe has something got to do with the character of each of, of Israel's children. Do you notice that? That the history of every son of Jacob has something got to do with their actual characters. There are, like I said, within these blessings, there are warnings as well for us. And so let us just stop for a moment and think about, uh, about this. Just think about the blessings and the warnings present here. How often in Holy Scripture are we told that a man or a king or a person did that which was either good or evil in the sight of the Lord? It's told to us over and over again that person did that which was evil, that king did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that their father had done before, either good or evil, and they walked in the ways of their father. And they made Israel to sin, as it were. And so there is a sense here where children can be susceptible to the character flaws and the sins of their parents, according to the flesh. That's obvious. We, that's obvious from scripture and that is also obvious from experience we all know that and even as believers we know this to be true believers it must be said are not immune to this David by and large as we know was mightily used of the Lord wasn't he he was a man after God's own heart he fought God's battles didn't he by God's grace and God mightily used him for the increase of the kingdom and for the extension of the kingdom, as it were. And so he, much good was done through that man after God's own heart, David. However, David did have character flaws. He did have besetting sins, which scripture plainly outlines for our learning, doesn't it? David's, of course, marked polygamy, had significant bad consequences didn't it upon his children we think of Solomon for instance and Solomon's awful polygamy we think of Absalom we think of uh, we think of the all the terrible things that happened because of these particular character flaws we all have character flaws don't we we all have besetting sins but in this friends let us understand that the letter killeth that this warning, this prophetic warning, the letter killeth, but it's the spirit that gives life. So when we approach this prophecy, let us understand that, that its intention here is not to condemn us, but it's here to warn us here, and we actually see this within the tribes themselves. So the, the, the letter of the warning in many cases kills and we all have shortcomings concerning shortcomings concerning the flesh, character flaws, no matter what families we belong to, no matter what nation we belong to, no matter what denomination we belong to. We all have character flaws. But praise be to God, dear friends, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives the spirit, doesn't he? He gives life. Is it not of the spirit that tells the Christian, like we've been talking on the Lord's Day, to mortify, to war, to fight, to put to death the sinful deeds of the flesh? We are more than conquerors, of course, through Christ that has loved us. 
This is the way, really, which we should approach this prophecy, this prophetic blessing and prophecy concerning Jacob to his children. The blessings and the warnings, and the warnings, if we take spiritually, will be blessings to us. And so to begin with, Jacob starts with the, his eldest son, Reuben, verses 3 and 4. And it begins very promising, doesn't it? Verse 3, it begins incredibly promising. He says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Well, that must have been incredibly encouraging. You can imagine Reuben there, and in those days that Jacob, Israel, would have, might have had his hand upon his head as the tradition was when, when blessing, looking at his dear son in, in the eyes. There, he's a converted man now, and he has his hand upon J, uh, Reuben's head, and he is telling him prophetically, full of the Spirit now, this blessing, what will become of him. And it was encouraging, was it not? I mean, you, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of my dignity, the excellency of power, you, the, the, the physical strength, the responsibility, the, the work ethic, as it were. You've got, you've got it all. You've got it all, Reuben. This prophetic blessing must have been incredibly encouraging to begin with. And it's true, isn't it? It's true that firstborn or elderly children can be great blessings to their parents. They can help their parents in many duties. They can, and often, they can often be sometimes perfectionists in this respect, the eldest children. They can be very responsible, very hardworking, very dutiful, and they can add to a family's dignity and a, and a dynasty, as it were, of a family. These things are all true, and we know this to be true from Scripture. But with this, with this being said as true, it is also true that the devil often goes after the firstborn, the eldest within families. We see that with Ishmael, we see that with Esau, we see that right throughout scripture, that the devil always goes after, he goes after everyone, by the way, but he particularly goes after the eldest within a family. Why is that? Well, because he knows full well that if he can get to the eldest, the eldest siblings have the, almost a great responsibility because the, the siblings, you see, look up to the eldest, don't they? They look up to the elders for an example. And so it's almost like a bridge, as it were. The eldest set a, can set a great example, spiritual example, to their siblings. And of course they can be of a great blessing to their parents in this respect as well. And so there, are some, there is some truth behind this, isn't there? Scripture validates this. It is true in this respect because he knows full well that if he can drag the elders into carnal living, instead of living by faith, as it were, instead of spiritual living, by faith in the Lord and in his promises, it will affect the whole family. It will disrupt the whole family. And so elderly children can have a great 
influence upon their siblings and be of a massive help, especially spiritually speaking, to their parents. And that's why in verse 4 it says concerning Reuben, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. As we know, Reuben committed adultery and incest with Bilhah, which of course was, again, a great character flaw of the patriarch, Jacob. And we can see how what these character flaws, what they led to. But nevertheless, Reuben committed adultery with incest, incest with, with Bilhah, which was, of course, Jacob's concubine. And he was deposed of his birthright, wasn't he? And this blessing now seems really like more of a curse, <laughs> like I said, than a blessing. We think, well, <laughs> and this seems like more of a curse, Father, than a blessing. And who needs curses when you have blessings like this? Israel is saying, in essence, to Reuben, that you're not going to excel in the faith, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, a believer whose faith is is often inconsistent, as it were, has an inconsistent character, will not excel. That's, in essence, what he is saying. It's a warning here. Yes, you might have physical strength, responsibility, power, uh, many gifts, many outward gifts and talents, work ethic, but these things will count for very, very little unless you have spiritual power in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. That's, the, that's really what it's getting to here. Uh, you know, this is true of everyone, by the way, not just the elders, but in particular, the elders do have this perfectionism. You, don't put your trust in your, your, your um, work ethic, your responsibilities, your talents, your gifts, as it were. What we need, really, is to cry out to the Lord for spiritual strength. And really, it's a very hard lesson to learn, especially for elderly siblings, but for all of us, where we trust in our talents, where we trust in our work ethic and in many gifts, natural gifts, that can actually blind us from spiritual strength in the Lord by faith, by just crying out to the Lord, crying out to the Lord from the depths for, for help every day. So that can really be missing sometimes. Literally just crying out, Lord, help me. Pleading with the Lord. Not putting our trust in any talents or gifts or hard work ethic. But literally dependence upon the Lord. Reuben's descendants, therefore, dear friends, lacked holy resolve and reliability. They were unstable as water, spiritually speaking. And the picture we have here really is like a geyser, like, like boiling up of water. They, he, he, they were spiritually unreliable, uh, emotionally unreliable, immorally unreliable, inconsistent. And Israel's prophecy in this respect was stunningly accurate, as all scripture is. No prophets came from the tribe of Reuben. No priest came from the tribe of Reuben. 
There's no judge that belonged to the tribe of Reuben. There's no outstanding leader or captain that came from the tribe of, Le- of, of Reuben. There's no prophet. Even in Deborah's song in Judges 5, 15 and 16, the Reubenites are mentioned with some disapproval in this respect in terms of its members not helping their brethren. Deborah says in in Judges 5, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleatings of the the sheep? So what she's saying, in other words, you're not not going up. You're just staying with with the sheep. You're not going up to help your brethren, to fight God's battles, to, to, to fight the faith. And of course, there's much application to this. Many Christians, friends, are just are just not getting involved in the fights. They're not serving and committing themselves to the, the work of the Lord. They're watching other people doing it. I'm, I'm not going to get committed. This is ugly. I'm going to get hurt. And so we see this, this stunning accuracy of this prophecy. These things, friends, are written down for our learning and our admonition. There are many, and like I said, this is not only true, this is true of all of us. There are many points of application, which I can go into detail, but time does not permit me to, 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 to do so. But let me just make one point of application in this respect in regards to Reuben. Many, many churches nowadays, when looking for pastors or elders or church leaders, they look first for men who come from renowned seminaries, as it were. Men on paper who've got all the qualifications. Well, look at this person. Look at, look at the renowned university they come from or the seminary they come from. They look at these things. They look out for these things. Well, we, this person comes from so-and-so, uh, this prestigious university or this seminary and things. But often the last thing they look for is, is this man truly converted? Is this man actually got a heart for the Lord the Lord's people, and the lost. It's, it's, it's staggering when you go onto church websites. It rolls off the things. Oh, this person likes these hobbies and they've got all these qualifications. But what about who he is? What, is he a converted man? Is he leading his family at home every day? Is he dedicated, not, not just in the church once or twice a week, but is he wholeheartedly, according to qualifications, serving the Lord every day from home, leading his family, leading the, their children, leading the church of Jesus Christ, taking on the role of an evangelist? Is this, is this man converted? It's stunning, isn't it, friends? The, the, the lack of this. And so we can really apply this application here, can't we? Do, does they ha- do they have a genuine love for the lost? Are they living the gospel in the home, in the church, and on the highways and the byways? Uh, and I really do fear the days that we're living in, that many, many are chosen for the wrong reasons, dear friends, that we're living in, the virtue-signaling days that we're living in. And I, and I believe that's, that the West is, is, is in big trouble in that respect. Well, next Israel mentions here Simeon and Levi, verses 5 through 7. And they really fare no better, do they, Simeon and Levi? They also do not receive the blessing of the firstborn, which naturally would have dropped to them, being the second and third eldest. They previously had been men, of course, of great violence. 
and cruelty. They're converted now. Both of them are converted. So was Reuben. They're, they're, they're in the Lord. But they had been uh, men of great violence and cruelty with their murderous attacks upon the Shishamites. Uh, and we know this. And that brought shame. Great shame to, 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 to Israel, to the name of Israel, and to the cause of God. And, uh, of course, this hugely disrespected their father. No doubt Jacob's prophecy here is referring to their attacks, which made Israel's testimony to stink, didn't it, amongst the inhabitants. So God does take that very seriously. Jacob says in verse 7, Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce. You see, they together, together Simeon and Levi, they conspired to do that which was evil, didn't they? They Both of them together were, <laughs> how can I say, sometimes siblings or together are better to be separated <laughs> in that respect because they encourage each other to do that which is wrong. <laughs> So it's not always a blessing to have certain siblings with each other because they can encourage each other in something which is bad. So and I, I could, me and my brother Jason, everyone knows the story. Me and my brother Jason, when we were little, I was probably the worst of the encourager. Come on, let's go make some toast in the forest. And we caught the whole forest alight and we got a jolly good hiding for it. But you, you can, you know, you can together really... Uh, they conspired to do that which is evil. And therefore we are told that their alliance, that which made them strong for the purposes of evil, that, that they will now be divided and scattered. Look at the Lord. <laughs> He's amazing, isn't he? He knows how to deliver the godly. He knows what we need. Sometimes we need dividing. Sometimes we need scattering. Sometimes that which makes us strong carnally, the Lord will knows, well, actually, you don't actually need that person. It's actually detrimental. I'm going to divide you. I'm going to scatter you. And this principle can, can apply to many things. And one commentator put it, it made me giggle, I must say. He said, whom the devil have joined together, God puts asunder. <laughs> so quite pithy words there, but um, very true. But after the conquest of Canaan, the Simeonites were not significant enough to have an allotment of their own. This prophecy was stunningly accurate. They were absorbed within the tribe of Judah and were given a portion out of the inheritance of Judah. So what, like I said to begin with, what the, the, the word, the warning, killeth, doesn't it? Oh, this is a curse, not a blessing. But actually, the Spirit giveth life because they were absorbed within a tribe of Judah from which the Saviour came from. It actually turned into a blessing. So if we take Scripture in this sense, the prophecies in this sense, take the warnings as, that God wants to bless you. God wants to bring good out of cursing, as it, as it were. Out of, so, so these are meant for our good in this respect. That's how we should treat them. And so they were absorbed within the portion out of the inheritance of Judah. If God divides and scatters you that, he may, that you may become weaker, be sure it's because he wants to bless you, as it were, in Judah, in the, in the Saviour. That's what he's doing. As, Le as for Levi, his tribe also was scattered and divided. 
And how often are we told that the Levites had no inheritance? Oh, we said they have no inheritance, no land is given to them. Why is that? Because the Lord, the Lord is in their inheritance. You see, what made Simeon and Levi strong in sin was, was really, really they, were, they were encouraging each other. Lord, I'm going to break you up and then I'm going to bless you that way. And so his, he found his inheritance in the Lord. The letter of the prediction, absolutely spot on, isn't it? Perfect, as all scripture is. But the Spirit changed the letter of the prophecy of being scattered into a blessing. As God would be the Levite's inheritance. Through Moses, a Levite, God can bring great grace out of great cursing. The Levites would, of course, become dedicated to the Lord in the priesthood to be mightily used of the Lord. So like I said, the letter, as it were, killeth, but the spirit of the letter giveth life, or the prophecy giveth life. And again, there's so much application to give in this respect, but just a time, time doesn't allow me to go into all the details. But let me just, once again, just give us one point of application in terms of Simeon and Levi. Friends, as believers, there can, as believers who are saved, who love the Lord, there can be unions, there can be friendships, there can be connections that we all have with, with believers and with unbelievers alike. And that actually can be more detrimental to our spiritual growth than helpful. And so we must take that. We must understand if this person, if, if this friendship with this unbeliever is causing me actually to compromise more in the word, in the faith, perhaps causing me to miss services or to, 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 to go into sin, then, then we must wake up to that. This, this is what, what application really we can take from this. Did not the Lord in his providence divide and separate the spiritual house of David to the carnal house of Saul? He did, didn't he? And so this now brings us to Judah's blessing and prophecy, verses 8 through 12. Judah, of course, was the fourth son of Leah. And one can only imagine that at this point, poor Judah must have been quaking in his boots, as it were. Poor Judah, he heard, he heard Reuben, the eldest, and Simeon, the Levi, second and third eldest, and Reuben, and Judah, of course. <laughs> uh, he, can, he can only imagine him at this point with, with Jacob's hand upon his head and looking into his eyes. And he, he's thinking, well, I've done worse than all three of them. <laughs> poor Judah, you can imagine poor Judah thinking the worse. Judah, in his pre-converted days, his track record was even worse than all three of his brothers gone before him. He had sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. That was Judah's idea. He distanced himself from all that he knew was good, didn't he? He took off, distanced himself from, from his godly father, didn't he? From, his, from that, that godly heritage that he had. Yes, they had difficulty, but he distanced himself, joined himself to a pagan of that land, and he gave his heart, didn't he, to the culture. That's what he did, didn't he? Lived in sin, lived in revelry, as it were, like the prodigal. He committed adultery even with his own daughter-in-law, didn't he? 
And friends, if there were ever a trophy of God's grace, it was poor Judah, wasn't it? Poor Judah was a trophy of God's grace. Judah must have, like I said, been bracing himself, bracing himself for his father's prophetic verdict. <laughs> and, uh, but seemingly, really, out of nowhere, flows this extraordinary, amazing blessing just poured upon him. Upon Judah, which no doubt must have come to surprise to Judah and to all of his siblings. And no doubt Jacob himself must have been completely surprised at what he was saying. The spirit giving utterance and unction. He's like, am I really saying these words about Judah? The spirit just indwelling him? It seems obvious, dear friends, to me. That amongst Joseph's brothers, Judah underwent the most radical of transformation. And I hope really in the other series that I brought that, something of that across. The transformation, the substitutionary love that Judah had. They were all converted, don't get me wrong. But we see really in Judah a massive transformation. A a, a really uh, um, remarkable one. And I believe there's a purpose behind this. There's a beginning about this. It's because really the saviour of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come through the loins of Judah. And that tribe would be the most illustrious and imminent tribe of all because the saviour of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come through that tribe. And I suppose the words of the saviour are very true in this regard as well. That to to, to whom is much forgiven... Is much forgiven. Is, um, too much is forgiven. Much is given as well. There is some truth behind that as well, isn't there? If, if the Lord takes a, a wretched sinner and, and changes their life around, often they are so zealous for the Lord. Well, the King of Kings and and Savior of the world would come through the tribe of Judah. Judah's name actually signifies praise the Lord. That's what his name signifies. Praise the Lord. Verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. And this is true, prophetically speaking. That uh, kings, great kings, David and Solomon, so on, would come from the line of Judah. And ultimately the king of kings would bow down and praise uh, the Messiah. He shall be praised because the Messiah, the Lion of Judah, and the Root of David was to come from that tribe. Of course, a lion is is the king of the jungle, isn't it? the, The Lion of Judah is the Messiah, the one who will protect them from their enemies, the one that will go before them, as it were. Judah now is a new man with a new heart, Uh, with a new spirit, the Holy Spirit within him, and he is now able to fulfill the name his mother gave to him, Leah, gave to him. Genesis 29, 35, concerning this, it says, and she conceived again and bare a son, that's Leah, a son, and she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Judah, praise Lord. The Lord. Now, now will I praise the Lord. Notice that, that those, the wordings of Leah, now will I praise the Lord, 
Therefore, she called his name Judah. If you read Genesis 29 very carefully, you will notice that Leah kept on seeking her husband's attention and approval. All the time, she kept on wanting her, her, her husband's attention and approval. Of course, because Jacob loved Sarah, didn't he, more than, than Leah, unfairly. And, but when Judah was born, the, the, from, from which the saviour of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come from, she left off all that, didn't she? Read that passage very carefully, Genesis 29. You'll see that she completely left off all that. Completely. And that is significant. It was upon Judah's birth that she found contentment in the Lord, more so than in her husband. That's a, there's a great lesson in that, isn't there? That, that we must find contentment first in the Lord before any of our loved ones, as it were. Praise the Lord, she says. No longer a men pleaser. And it reminds me of devout Simeon and Luke 2, who blessed baby Jesus, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, says Simeon. In the same sense, Leah, always trying to please her husband, probably quite frustrated at her husband's biasness, at those character flaws within her own husband. Although he was a believer, there still was character flaws there, wasn't there? But when Judah came, God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. The Lord heard my cry, as it were, and the saviour of the world would come from Judah. Well, Israel says to Judah in verse 8, thy father's children shall bow down before thee. And we know prophetically this is true. Imagine Judah hearing this blessing. Just imagine him. With it again his aged father's hand upon his head, gazing at him in the eyes full of wonder. Praise Praise my, my, my father? I, rebu- I deserve rebuke. I deserve thy sore chastening. Warning, I deserve hell for after everything that I have done. Praise? Tears really must have welled up in his eyes. I deserve to be severely warned more than my brothers. And what a mixture here of just splendid joy spiritual joy and probably shame but also gratitude and love to the Lord must have filled Judah's heart because of God's grace grace it's a charming sound isn't it to a believer's ear and if that were not overwhelming enough Judah's blessing in verse 9 comes with power it comes with power in Christ verse 9 says Judah is a lion's whelp A lion, like I said, is the king of the jungle. It's the king of animals, as it were. And back then, a lion was a symbol of kingship. It was a a symbol of rule. And it was a a symbol of power. That's what it was. Judah is a lion's whelp. In other words, great kings will come from thee. Great godly kings will come from thee. Great power, great rule, great authority. Verse 9, from the prey from my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, an experienced lion, who shall arouse him? Judah would become the most numerous and powerful and most illustrious of all the tribes because of Christ, the lion of Judah. 
Judah would be an intimidating and powerful figure, wouldn't he, throughout church history? Who would be foolish enough to to pick on and arouse up Judah? Who would be foolish enough to, to pick on and arouse up Judah, who has the might of the Lord in him and who goes before him? Well, surely only those who have not the fear of the Lord would pick on Judah, who, who really do not fear the Lord. And so that's what we, we see the sense here of this prophecy. And in verse 10, we're told that Judah's family would also have the preeminency. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Of course, this concurs with the Abrahamic everlasting covenant of grace that from thy seed uh, shall all the nations be blessed through the the seed of Abraham, that the saviour of the world would come. Well, this is true of Judah, that the the saviour of the world would come. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And we are gathered here for that exact, exact reason this evening, aren't we? To worship the Lord God. To worship him because he first loved us and set his love upon us. We trust not in the sweetest frame, but only in Jesus' name. In his blood and righteousness alone for our salvation. Nothing else for our justification. Only his blood that he spilt on the cross of Calvary for our sinful blood. And in his righteousness, which he gave to us. Not our own righteousness, but his on the cross. A scepter, of course, is a symbol of great authority, kingship and judgment. A a great king after God's own heart shall come out of Judah, King David. And, of course, King David will extend the borders, as it were, and Solomon will go on to establish them. David's conquered the enemies of, of Israel and extended the borders and like I said, Solomon further established them. All the God-fearing kings, despite their obvious character flaws, came from the tribe of Judah. Shiloh mentioned here, of course, is Christ, isn't he? He is the prince of peace. He is the giver of rest, isn't he? Which, of course, the name signifies. The fulfillment of the promise to Judah is the coming of Shiloh. The coming of the giver of the prince of peace. The giver of rest. Jesus Christ is the peace giver who made reconciliation between God and sinful man at the cross. That's what he did, didn't he? He made reconciliation for us sinners to God. And verses 11 and 12, uh, Jacob, Israel, says to Judah, binding his foal unto the vine... And his ass was colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. And verse 12, his eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. This is speaking about the spiritual prosperity and fruitfulness of Judah and all those who really put their trust and praise in the Lord. What man binds his foal, his donkey, to a vine? <laughs> you ever ask yourself that question? What man binds 
his donkey, his foal, to a, to a vine. Not many men do that, do they? They do it to a post or to a tree or something like that. Well, only an incredibly prosperous and fruitful and splendidly rich man would bind his foal, as it were, to a vine, because normally men would bind their donkeys to a tree, because donkeys love grapes, they'll be munching those grapes all day long, they won't have anything left, will they? Judah and all who are bound to Christ, as it were, are made spiritually, spiritually fruitful and prosperous, as it were. They have this great riches in Jesus Christ. They shall be bound, notice it says, to the vine, not a vine, the vine. They will enjoy the spiritual abundance and riches of grace when they truly come as a repentant sinner to Christ. Jesus Christ, of course, of Nazareth is the vine, isn't he? Jesus Christ says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you cannot do nothing. So the question is, are you in the vine? Are you in Christ? Are you bound to the vine? Do you know the spiritual abundance by being in Christ, by being bound to Christ, as it were? Judah knew of it, and all those, of course, who would seek the Lord by faith would be in Christ. They would be bound to him. They would be in him. They pray to him like we've been speaking about in our prayer meeting Seek his face. They're not in themselves. They're bound to the vine. They're in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. All the promises of true are concerning them. Are you abiding in Christ, friends? Are you bound to him? If you, like Judah, are great spiritual blessings, great riches of grace, great fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness will be lavished upon you. That's, that's just what it's saying. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't not be bound to Christ because you'll always be empty. There'll always be a lowliness and emptiness in there. There'll always be a famine of the heart and the soul there. If, you, if, you, if you're not truly converted, you'll always be seeking this world's good, this world's fruitfulness. You'll never truly be happy. There'll always be a lowliness in there. You need to be bound to Christ, the only saviour of sinners. He will give you riches from heaven. He has done the work. He will make you fruitful in every good work. He will bestow upon you great spiritual blessings. But you must be bound to him. You must seek him. Seek that treasure from above. More than anything, you must be bound to him. You must be bound to him. And yes, you may be poor, as it were, in this world, like Joseph and Mary, And you may be a reproach to many, but you're bound to Christ, aren't you? You will know of great heavenly guidance, great assurance, a home in heaven, spiritual feeding, the abundance of grace and riches bestowed upon you. You'll know of all these things. This world, dear friends, they cannot give you solid joy and peace, can they? If you're not bound to Christ, like I said, there's a spiritual famine 
and as an emptiness which this passing world just can never fill. I try to fill it for more than 20 years, that gaping void in my heart and my life. Just try to fill it. I said I was a Christian, but I was never bound to the vine. I was never in Christ. You've got to be bound to Christ. Jesus Christ, if he's not first in your life, dear friends, he's last. You've got, he's got to be first. He's got to be number one in your heart. More than your career, more than your talents, more than anything in this world. You've got to have a real relationship with the Lord by faith. You've got to be bound to the vine. And then and only then will you know those spiritual gifts and blessings and the power of the Spirit from above. It's got to happen. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle to be part of the visible church, but not part of Christ. So there's such a danger in that, that you can have the name of a Christian, but you're not in the vine. I just encourage all of us to make sure that you're in Christ. Friends, like Judah now, does your life resound the praise of the Lord? Are you trusting in the loving and saving power of the Lion of Judah to overcome all your spiritual enemies who will protect you and defend you and, yea, who has overcome all your greatest enemies? Does the King of Kings have the ultimate authority in your life? Does he have the preeminence in your day-to-day life, in your thought life, in your understanding, in your affection? Does he have preeminence? I'm not saying that we cannot sin and let the Lord down. We all do that. We all have those things. But does he have the preeminence? Does does he have control of your thoughts? Of your mind? Of your affections? It's got to be that way. It has to be the heart. It cannot be any other way. He's got to be in control of your thoughts and of your mind and your affections. If he's not, you're not yet a Christian. It's got to be that way. Do you move by faith according to the righteous judgments of his righteous scepter, of his word, of the spirit? Like Esther, friends, you will find favor and peace with God if you come in this way. Through Shiloh, through Christ, do you know of the reconciliation and peace and rest with God, spiritual rest, which you can have this evening. If you don't have it, you can have it. If you come as a poor sinner to Jesus and you truly repent of your sins, you can have it. Are you bound, poor fellow sinner, to the vine? Do you joyfully feed upon him? Do you delight in him? Do you know of the riches of grace, the washing away of of sins with his precious blood? The spiritual abundance and fruitfulness he wants to give you. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to bless us. He would rather, much rather, pour upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing than chasten. That's in his nature to bless. The spiritual abundance and fruitfulness, friends, he wants to give. Well, I I trust and I hope that we all know of this here this evening. Or we will all come to know of this, the spiritual bounty and rest and peace and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com That's grace2seekers at gmail.com 
Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.